Welcome to the Kinkle Fritz and Friends podcast. If you want to hear the show, you can find it on Family Life Radio. If you want to find a station near you, you can go to myflr.org or stream it online. You may have seen him on Fox News. He's a broadcast journalist. He's a best-selling author. He's got a series of books for, for kids as well. We have Raymond Arroyo with us, The Magnificent Mischief of Tad Lincoln. This is cool. Oh, thank you for having me on. Yeah, well, you're welcome. So this is a, a son of Abraham Lincoln and all the naughtiness that he got involved in in the White House. <laughs> well, the much-neglected son of Abraham Lincoln. You know, I stumbled on this. Look, I never heard of Tad Lincoln like many of you before I, I, I started digging into this project. But every year when I was covering the White House, there is an annual White House turkey pardon. Every year they bring live turkeys mm -hmm. out and the president pardons them. And I remember asking someone at the White House at the time, uh, and over many years, where did this tradition come from? And they said, oh, it was JFK, it was Truman, Nixon started it. No, all of that is untrue. So I did my own research and discovered it really began with Tad Lincoln back in 1863 and Abraham Lincoln. And it is, to, and when I realized the family story behind it, the little family drama that created this national holiday tradition, I said, I've got to tell this story because it, it not only reveals the love of a father and a son and the lessons of mercy and forgiveness that Abraham Lincoln taught his son and then his son later reminds his father of, but it's also um, a beautiful story of a son who saves his father at the darkest moment in our nation's history. And in these times, when we, we often have to report on tragedy and war and bloodshed, it's another reminder that hope is always possible. And even at the darkest moments, if you take the time to look around, there's light everywhere. And that's what Abraham Lincoln found. You know, uh, Raymond, uh, as a father of a, a daughter diagnosed with multiple special needs, I didn't know Abraham Lincoln had a son with special needs. He did indeed. He did indeed. Abraham Lincoln's son uh, was had a cleft palate. He was probably he, he didn't really read. He had a lot of trouble reading, was a really bad student, but he was inseparable from his father. And if you read the accounts, many of the secretaries of Abraham Lincoln said uh, that they described Tad as a hellion. And they said, we don't know why <laughs> Abe Lincoln lets this hellion run wild in the White House. And I started digging into various accounts because there's no single book on Tad Lincoln. It's very hard to find. But I discovered he and his brother would dig up the Rose Gardens playing with soldiers. They built a fort on the top of the White House. They would hitch their, their pet goat, Nanco, from Springfield. They hitched it onto a dining room chair and would gallop through what? the East Room during parties. Okay, So all of that fun and hijinks and mischief is in the book. And kids, I have to tell you, I've read to a lot of children this particular book. I've gone to a lot of school visits, and uh, they are delighted by that part of the story. And it's kind of how it opens, because what kid doesn't want to, you know, turn the White House upside down? But <laughs> deeper than that, I discovered as I as and the reason I decided to call the book The Magnificent Mischief of Tad Lincoln, because Lincoln indulged his son, so did Mary Todd, because 
I think, in the middle of the hellscape that was the Civil War. Remember, there are civil, there were troops all over the White House, all over the lawn of the White House, just across the river. The Confederate troops are advancing. So he was losing the war. Lincoln had lost two sons. And Tad was his, I think, touchstone to normalcy and joy and love and a reminder of what could be possible on the other side of the the hell that he was living in and the moment that he found himself in. So it's a good reminder for we parents. You know, we worry about our careers and we worry about what's happening in the world. Sometimes you just have to be with your child and let them be with you. That's the gift in the moment. And that's the gift that Abraham Lincoln discovered. And in the doing, he not only signs in 1863, the Emancipation Proclamation, freeing the enslaved people. That's the same year he creates Thanksgiving as a national holiday. He Mm. signs that (laughs) presidential declaration. It's beautiful. I notate it in the back of the book. And it is also the year that he pardons Tad Lincoln's turkey. Mm -hmm. And I won't give you the full story there, but it's all connected to me. And it shows you the power of a child, not only in the life of a family, but in the life of a nation. And his mark, his tradition continues to this day, and we should remember him and what Thanksgiving really was created by the Lincolns for. You know, even even looking back at that time and space and thinking that like Edison, whose mother took him in because he didn't fit in school. I was fascinated to read that Tad didn't really fit in school either. He had some learning disabilities and yet President Lincoln, with that time that could have been seen as a negative, mm-hmm. spent it so richly with Tad close to him and close to him. And you just really brought that out as um, a real conviction for us as parents, I think, as we're looking well, at our kids who oftentimes don't fit in, especially the boys. <laughs> They're a little rambunctious. Yeah, well, I think we look at children today very utilitarian-like. You know, we look at Mm. what kids can do or what they can achieve or their marks. That's the wrong way of looking at a child. Uh, Your child is there for you to love and to nurture and protect and help them find their gifts and to lean into the joy and the fun and the light and the promise that they have. That's your job as a parent, not to evaluate them based on the world standards. You know, I knew Mother Teresa. I interviewed her a couple of times. And uh, one time we were in the Bronx in New York and Princess Diana was visiting Mother Teresa and the media was all fanned out. Mother got out of the the bus we were in and she made a beeline across the street and picked up this little infant. This lady was standing on the corner holding her baby. Mother Teresa went over, kissed the baby, blessed it, came back. And I said, what are you doing? Princess Diana is waiting for you over here. The media is over here. She said, children are a sign that God has not abandoned us. And when I wrote this book, when I wrote the Edison book as well, they're good reminders that your child doesn't need to be perfect. They need to be yours and you have to be present for them. And both of those parents, Nancy Edison, in the case of Thomas Edison, my first book, The Unexpected Light of Thomas Alva Edison, for those who don't know, when he was eight years old, he was thrown out of school and told he was an idiot and could not be taught. His mother took him home, homeschooled him, and she nurtured and raised up the greatest inventor of all time. The guy who created the microphone we're talking on, the light we're looking at, the electric car, so many things, the tattoo pen, you name it, Edison probably created it. And this book is about not a a mother who saves her son, 
but a son who saves his father. And I, I thought, you know, in this this Turnabout Tales series that I'm doing with Zonder Kids is really all about um, those crisis points in young lives. Young people have a tendency to think when you meet an obstacle, that's the end of your life. No, that's the portal to your future. And that's what all of these stories really relay in different ways. And they're they're totally historic, uh, obviously arranged so that kids can enter into that moment in history, those characters. But uh, they're good reminders, I think. Well, the motto of the series is challenges faced, decisions made, history turned. And that can be all of our stories if we look for those turnabout tales and those turnabout moments. As somebody who struggled a lot with finding history, I hate to say it, interesting. I didn't really have a lot of teachers that made history interesting. And I feel like sometimes now that really impacts what I'm able to even understand Mm -hmm. When I, you know, watch news programs, when I'm, I'm a little bit lost here because I, I was absent-minded <laughs> for that lesson. You're a naughty history I, student. I was a naughty oh. history student. <laughs> so I can, I really appreciate not only, you know, obviously the life lessons in here, uh, the emotional mm-hmm. lessons, but the historical lesson. Like, I mean, I'm oh. an adult and I enjoyed reading this very much. And so <laughs> was that one of your goals to make history interesting going, you know, at at a young age. So maybe they're a little more invested when they get to other years. Yeah. Well, you know, look, we we, people don't have time. The reality is people just don't have time today to go through these thick tomes. I mean, I read something like 20 Lincoln biographies, you know, maybe six of them I read through the others. I just looked for what I needed and, and took from them. Nobody has that kind of time. I get it. Took me months and months to do so. But there are important lessons, and I, I see history as a guidebook for living, okay? They, they point to what we're going to encounter in the future, and if you don't understand the foundation you're standing on, then you don't know where you are, nor can you plot your chart to the future. And I think for kids and all, all people, families, I wanted an on-ramp into these historic periods and these historic figures. So I thought, how? What better way to do it? I originally wrote this as a chapter book. I started it as a chapter book, and I said, I'm cutting my audience in half. If I make it a picture book or what I call a family read, I'll double the audience, and far many more people will, will access this material. So I wrote it, and I write all of my books, really for the child today and the child tomorrow. I want adults to be excited about it, too. And you got things in this story there are there are background elements and movements of emotion that adults will only get. The the ride in the foreground is intended for the kids. I love that I, all the children's literature I love has that component in it. It's true, it's real, and there are deep life lessons that you you're not always ready to apprehend, but in adulthood you find those. But for the child today, there's a lot for them to to tap into, understand. And it does introduce them to the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln. They see him as a father, which we rarely see Lincoln as. Um, And, and, you know, he's always so solemn. You know, he's got that solemn look and very serious. I wanted people to see the other side of Lincoln. And his contemporaries wrote about this when he was with the boys, when they played pranks on him, when they were, you know, he'd roll on the floor with the kids and he'd be bent over in neighing laughter. These these uh, diaries read. I wanted to capture that Lincoln and point to the origin story of Thanksgiving 
a, a national holiday I think we all take for granted and we miss the purpose of. The story reminds us of why it's there and maybe how we should think of it each year. We're talking with uh, Raymond Arroyo, The Magnificent Mischief of Tad Lincoln. It's his latest book, uh, children's book, and with, with the mischief, the mischievous title that we have here. Uh, and in the book, uh, because of that, uh, President Lincoln, as a father, has mercy for his son. Talk a little bit about that. Was that intentional to bring that up? Well, you know, I stumbled on that because uh, I knew that at the time in, 18, in the 1860s, the White House wasn't as it is today. It wasn't barricaded with all those fences around. You could walk right up to the front door of the White House. And in the afternoons, people would line up from the front door for blocks waiting to see the president because they wanted to beg presidential pardons from him. And during the war, there were kids who their children had abandoned the, the you know field of war. Uh, people wanted properties back. There were a whole series of things that they wanted. Well, when I dug into the research, I realized Abraham Lincoln uh, proffered 82% of all the pardons requested. He agreed to 82%. Tad Lincoln at the time would sit next to Lincoln's desk on the floor and play and listen and watch all of these people come forward and plead their case to the president. He was very giving and merciful to them. And mercy is a big uh, line that runs through Lincoln's personal belief, his fatherhood, as well as his presidency. I mean, after the war, he forgave all the Confederate uh, folks and, and returned all the properties, which he didn't have to do. And many in his cabinet didn't want him to do. And in the microcosm, because I don't think every, anything's unrelated, you have a family story happening of a boy who misses his brother. He befriends a turkey that's brought to the White House. And at a very particular moment, Tad Lincoln becomes one of those petitioners asking for his father's pardon. And uh, the way he grants it, uh, what happens there is such, I, I think, a, it's a neat way for families and particularly young people to understand not only why that White House turkey pardon still happens today, but when you read the Thanksgiving Declaration, if I can read a little bit of this to you, yeah. Lincoln writes, uh, this is October 3rd of 1863, he writes, uh, he saw this as a season of forgiveness and unity, and he said, in penitence for our national perverseness and disobedience, fervently implore the imposition of the almighty hand to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and union. He wanted us to come together. It was a season of unity and begging God to bring us together and heal our wounds. Boy, do we need that today. That's this for Thanksgiving. Sure. Yeah. So I hope this I hope this story, this little microcosm, this family drama, uh reminds us of that impetus and that we allow that to color the holiday as we uh, move toward Thanksgiving. I love how you have taken us into the White House and into a completely different vision of President Lincoln with his stovepipe hat and his very stern <laughs> look and, you know, very unique yeah. look. And I don't think yeah. I ever saw him as laughing as you describe him. So what no. a gift that is alone. Nor did I, I maybe in the background of my mind knew, but you made it come alive the the personal sadness in mm. in that white house as well because tad was the you the last living child 
of um, President Lincoln. And so what that meant was Tad lost his best friend, his brother, Willie. Talk to us a little bit about that, because that's not only a dark time in the country, but it's a very dark time for their family as well. Well, well, this is what I mean. You know, family, the family reflects and um, experiences what's happening on the national scene. So it's a kind of interesting way to tell that story. Now, look, this is also a family read. So you don't, I, I, you know, it's, it, this is handled very delicately. And I think, you know, the image tells more than I actually write. In fact, you know, when you're writing a picture book like this, you, you, you write it all out and then you start pulling back and you talk to the illustrator. And in this case, Jackie Davis, my, my illustrator, she layered in elements that I wanted. I almost saw it like a stage play. And that would, you know, so I could pull back on the language because you're experiencing it through the pictures. Um, and, and a lot that does a lot of the work here. But, yeah, this was a family in loss. Robert, the oldest brother, is still alive, but he's off to college. But as far as in the White House, there's only one child left, and it's Tad. And he and his father become inseparable. Mary Todd Lincoln, you know, she, uh, she kind of vanishes from the story, but she descends into madness in reality. Um, but Tad and Abraham Lincoln are inseparable. He's with him when he reviews troops, when he gives major speeches, when he's signing declarations, and of course, spending every moment with his father into the evening. So that bond of father and son, I thought was so important to tell. Because again, it was a story I I hadn't heard, and I'd read a lot about Lincoln. And I remember Tad in passing, but he didn't make an impression on me. But when I saw that we had this national tradition that really Tad created uh, or was the instigator of, I thought I had to tell this story. And kids love it. I think they come away with a new understanding of, oh, this boy lived through the Civil War, you know, and and they they have a visual reference for Lincoln that perhaps they didn't have before. He was an abstract before. And I love putting flesh on these historic characters because, again, they found hope in a very dark time. And we are in a very dark time. And I think for children and families, you got to see the hope around you. It's there if you look for it. One of the things I noticed, you know, this is we were talking about the the different lessons that you can find in this book. And it's not, you know, it's not what I would call an, an overtly faith based book, but I was reading it and I'm like, man, there are so many uh, fruits of the spirit that come yeah. out in this story. You have the love yeah. and the joy and the forbearance and the kindness and the goodness. And, yeah. um, you know, again, it may not be one of those things that a child is going to pick up on. But it's there in that story woven through. Talk about that a little bit. Well, look, forgiveness and mercy. Um, There's a beautiful scene where Lincoln would read to his boys. Again, it showed you the type of father he was. Remember, he's losing a war. He's running a war. He's running the country. His party's divided. Uh, There are literally troops storming the White House across the river. And he finds time to read to his boys in the evening in the White House. You know, and he would relate the stories he was reading to his own life and share lessons with him. And one of them that is recorded is a very famous story where he shot a turkey uh, as a young boy in Kentucky. And he kills this beautiful turkey. And he tells the boy, boys, I've never shot a living creature again since that moment. And he had this philosophy that mercy, you know, was better than revenge. And and that we had to we had to forgive those who wronged us. And that idea of kind of um, considering the other was was a lesson he layered into the boys' training. 
And later, Tad reminds him of it and calls him on it. And the father responds. I won't ruin the book, but he responds beautifully. <laughs> so I, I wanted that to be there. You know, Lincoln was not a religious man, but as he went through the trials of war, he became more religious. He started reading the scriptures deeply. You see it in the language he uses, the Gettysburg Address and pleading on the Almighty. Even, even the Thanksgiving uh, declaration is layered with all kinds of uh, talk of sinfulness and perverseness and the almighty healing hand and God must forgive us for our sins. I mean, it became very explicit. Um, so sometimes trial begets a deeper faith and helps us find ourselves. And that's what I do think happens despite the sad tragedy uh, at the end of Lincoln's life. Um, I, I think things were were clearer to him through the tragedy, which perhaps is how we all learn. So on the, the vein of faith here, and you kind of snuck it in at the beginning of the interview, you'd spent some time with Mother Teresa. I want to know more about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was Mother Teresa obviously was at that point, uh, you know, uh, 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 an iconic spiritual uh, light. Um, I, I had covered her, uh, did a few interviews with her, and was, you know, blessed to shadow her for a couple of days. In fact, that uh, that very famous national uh, prayer breakfast where she gets up in D.C., I was there. I was right off to the left of the stage. I was the only one who could see her because they had these they had this microphone in front of her, and it was enormous, and it was like three Nerf balls connected together, like tied together. So Mother Teresa was like this. <laughs> she, you couldn't see her because she was so small. I was the only one that could see her because I was standing on stage right, you know, in the wings, because they didn't have a seat for me in the house. So she, interesting how all that works out. But uh, she was an amazing um, person, um, obviously. Again, like Lincoln, somebody who suffered a lot. Uh, went through some uh, real spiritual darkness. And I think through that trial, uh, purged away herself and allowed God to use her in powerful ways. I mean, look, she made she built hundreds of homes around the world, um, cared for those who no one cared for, the poor and the mm -hmm. dying, and, um, and her perspective on it. She wasn't a social worker. And if you've spent any time with them, you know, they'd be feeding people or bathing people or, or, you know, changing bandages. But when that bell rang for prayer, those nuns dropped what they were doing and ran into the other room. They did their hour of prayer and then they came back because they saw it all as serving the Lord, not not necessarily the person before them, but the Lord through the person yeah. before them. So it's an interesting perspective. They were contemplatives in the world, the way they operated. Yeah. It was amazing. To what see. an example of sacrifice and mercy. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, on her own. Yeah, you bet. Oh, wow. So The Magnificent Mischief of Tad Lincoln, Raymond Arroyo. And if people want to find out more about you, uh, what can they do? Well, they can go to my website, RaymondArroyo.com. Uh, there's info on the book there. You can find the book everywhere. It's at Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and wherever you buy your books. Uh, I hope you will get it. And more importantly, like Lincoln, I hope you will read it to your children and your grandchildren. That I write books for families for this reason, to create a moment and a memory that they can share together. But it's the conveyance of the values from one generation to the other and back again. That creates the moment. The book is just a vehicle for that. But I love that I can introduce young readers and slightly older ones to uh, a moment <laughs> of history that they may not know. 
And I love any origin stories. You know, I'm, I'm a freak for origin stories. I always want to know why we do the things we do. Where did that tradition come from? Where did that line come from? Um, look, I have a new Christmas album called Christmas Merry and Bright. And it's all about the backstory of Christmas carols and songs we take for granted. And I, I dug in deeply, discovered that many of the songs I thought I knew, you think you know, we misunderstood them for most of our lives. So uh, Kevin Costco, who was my arranger, came in. We reset them and framed them in what I consider a proper historic setting. And uh, it gives them new life. It's an incredible um, experience. But uh, th that's really the through line of all my work. Where do these things come from? And why have we continued to hold this story or that song dear for all these years? You know, it is kind of funny when you were a kid singing Christmas carols. I have no clue what I'm singing. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, the, so you're onto something there. It's like, what am yeah. I, why are we singing these words? You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. we're going to have to talk I, about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Well, I want to come back and talk to you about that because it's a really cool project. Uh, Jose Feliciano joins me on it. It's, it's cool. at Billboard, the top of Billboard's jazz charts and holiday charts. Wow. And I'm, and I'm on a tour. If you're, if you're in Phoenix or Nashville or uh, Dallas or Cleveland, RaymondArroyoChristmas.com. All the info is there, but it's going to be great. You write, you speak, you sing. Do you dance? Uh, no, I don't dance. Oh. Just ask my oh. wife. She's got, she's got bruised toes to prove it. No, that, there are some things we have. You have to know your limits. There I are don't limits. Know. There Sally's, are limits. Sally's volunteering to be your backup dancer. I think. No, All right, Sally. You, I'll be we'll fired. We'll put you down front. <laughs> put you down front. Oh, goodness. Oh, that's oh, awesome. Yeah, thank, no. thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Thank good stuff. You. Thank you all. Yeah, Such so a delight good. being with you. And and thank you for uh, exposing people, I think, to this important historic moment that we may have lost sight of, but we need to remind ourselves of again. Thanks for listening to the Kinkle Fritz and Friends podcast, heard on Family Life Radio. We would appreciate it so much if you could rate, review, and subscribe wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. You can also find more exclusive content at myflr.org and FLR Mornings on both Facebook and Instagram. And if you support Family Life Radio, thank you.